0: Thank you for leading us in worship. I agree with the prayer. May the name of Jesus be lifted up in our cities, our nations. I love that. Uh, for those of you that are new, my name is uh, Brett Weston, one of the pastors here at Deer Creek, but my role is also a church planter. So some of you knew that, some of you did not. But uh, my family and I, along with hopefully some of you, will be planting a church out of Deer Creek in about a year, just over a year, fall of 2019. Isn't that exciting? Uh, it's pretty awesome, yes. So uh, you can check in and see if you want to clap um, in about a year and a half. But uh, yeah. Well, for those of you that know our family, you know that we have six kids. And so this church planting thing is kind of like the, the saying that goes, uh, I used to have no kids and six theories about parenting. Now I have six kids and no theories about parenting. And so coming out of seminary, you have all these theories about, you know, this is going to work for a church plant. This is going to work with a church plant. And those theories are gone. I'm happy to inform you, but uh, it's great to have been in a two-year residency here uh, with you all and just learning from great men and women at Deer Creek about how to plant a church. How is God going to do this thing? How is he going to use us? And so um, we are. I'm part of the Western Church Planting Network that Deer Creek is a part of, and uh, it has been a great, great time here learning uh, from you all. So uh, we're in a four-week series. So obviously, uh, as a church planter, new is on my mind a lot. I th- keep thinking of new Things. And so we're in a series, the start of a series called A New You. And uh, most of us, I would say, at some point, maybe not right now, uh, but probably, if I were to guess, we all want something new or have wanted something new, a new house, a new car, a new relationship, a new body, not me, obviously, uh, <laughs> a new job, a new habit, a new routine. Some of us want something so big as just, I want a new start in life. Okay, that's kind of big. Some of the other things maybe are a little small. But here's the thing, and that's okay, because in a world that is constantly breaking down, constantly wearing out, it's natural to long for something new, isn't it? See, here's the thing with new. New has no problems yet, right? Only possibilities, at least for a while. New cars don't break down for a while. A new job is exciting and full of possibilities for a while. New marriages don't have problems, only possibilities. But five, ten years later, the possibilities aren't realized, and problems set in. Except for my marriage. Mine has no problems, right, honey? She won't be in second service, so I'll I'll tell you all the problems then. But uh, no. My new church, the church I'm planting up here, has no problems yet. So if you guys are tired of all the problems at Deer Creek, you want to go to a church that has no problems, you can come to this one up here, because right now, it's got no problems Pretty cool, right? Just possibilities. God's going to do this. God's going to do this. But you know what? I'll tell you what. Fall of 2019, when we launch, problems are going to sit in. So the problem with newness, as we experience it from our vantage point from here, the problem with newness is that eventually that newness wears off and boredom sets in. Isn't boredom part of suburban life? Isn't it just kind of part of suburban life? I was thinking about this, and, and, uh, you know, there's sort of flashes that can be, oh, that's cool, that was exciting. But, man, boredom can be a real possibility. It's probably why we try to make our lives look more exciting on FaceChat, Instabook, Snapgram, all those things. Uh, I just disconnected myself from everyone, like 20 and under. Uh, But we do, right? We kind of pump up our life. We want it to be exciting. We want to put this forward because... Honestly, sometimes suburban life is is kind of boring. And most of us have found that even when we get a new car, new house, new baby, new marriage, job, we kind of still feel worn out and long for something new. The crazy thing is, don't do it right now because you're going to listen to me, but if you Google the phrase, a new you, if you Google that, guess what the result? All of the results are plastic surgery centers, except one which is how to teach your kids um, how babies happen. So um, that's just a flyer. That's just one. That's, we're not going to go down that path this morning. But all of them are plastic surgery centers. So really, when you think about that, in the amount of people that Google things, the only way, the primary way that people know how to get a new you is something so drastic as plastic surgery. There's nothing wrong with that per se, but but if you're looking for a new you, that's where people go. Is that our best hope at having a new me, a new you, is something so drastic, this cutting, slashing, burning away the old? So here's my hope. Here's my hope for us is that over the next four weeks, we will find that plastic surgery actually isn't drastic enough to get a new you. Something much more drastic than that is needed to get a new you. But here's the good news, is the good news is that God does most of the drastic part himself. So God does offer a new you in the midst of a worn out world, but not for the reasons why we might think. And we're going to explore some of those reasons in our time together. God offers us a new life, a new identity, a new community, and a new purpose. And we'll be looking at each of those over the next four weeks. This morning, we're going to be talking about new life. And just to be clear... So as we start off, new life in the Bible refers to the eternal, everlasting, and abundant life given by God to anyone willing to trust in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection alone on our behalf to satisfy the debt that we owe to God for our sin, our indifference, and our disobedience. Without God's divine intervention on our behalf, giving us this new life, all those things that I just mentioned would result in eternal death. So new life, this new life that the Bible talks about, it's the foundation of a new you. It's where a new you starts, but as we're going to find out, it's not just a start. You see, a lot of times we have two problems when it comes to the new life that the Bible talks about. One, we don't have it. We don't have new life. We're stuck in an old way of trying to be better, trying to get better apart from God trying to pay off God in our own way or simply being indifferent to the things of God. We don't have this new life that the Bible is talking about. If this is you, and we're, we're so glad you're here, if this is you, I hope today gives you hope and you can leave knowing exactly how to enter that new life that Jesus offers. But here's the second problem. The second problem is for those who have found or think they've found new life in Jesus, we don't know what to do with new life once we have it. It's this amazing thing that we see in the Bible, this amazing thing that we want, we chase after. Once we get it, sometimes we don't even know what to do with it. So we're going to talk about these two problems this morning, but here's the thing, we're going to do something different. Because Christians, and and some of you um, who will not identify as Christian in this room yet would, would, would probably back me up on this, Christians often start and end a discussion like this with our need for new life. Speaking to those who they perceive don't have this new life, pastors and Christians often roam the earth like used car salesmen, trying to sort of convince people that they have a need that they don't really think they have. And that's our starting point for, hey, you should have new life. Come, great. You could be like me. You know, we start with that need and people are like, I don't have that need. I don't want to be like you. (laughs) So Aaron and I bought our house, uh, the house that we're in, we bought it about two years ago and it was built in 1974. Uh, great year, the uh, year before I was born. I'll let you do the math on that. Uh, great house. And so when it, the, the thing is, it has the original windows. And so those of you that bought, that bought a house, you know that nothing travels faster than the news that you've bought a new house and it needs new windows. So after we move in, window salesmen start showing up at our house. And here's what they do. So they, they have a tough job. They have to convince a man who has six children who would all love to go to college someday, love to play volleyball someday, that need braces, they have to convince me that I should put all that money towards new windows instead. So this guy's got a tough job, so here's what he does. So he comes to my door, he tells me that I'm just hemorrhaging money through my windows. He just says, if you squint on a cold day, you can see little dollar bills just jumping out the window, just running and just ending it all. And, and so I asked him to leave, and so he makes it more worse. He says, you know what? Okay, here's the deal. You don't care if you're freezing. I get that. You are going to get robbed because your windows are so cheap and flimsy. So then he paints this picture of, I'm going to get broken into. I'm going to get robbed. They're going to take all my stuff. And he goes on and on and on. I tried to get rid of him. You know how it goes. Uh, but here's what he didn't do. He never painted a picture Of how beautiful and warm and cozy my house would be if I had new windows. He didn't say something like this, imagine sitting inside your house on a winter's day in your bathrobe, don't you all imagine that, (laughs) on a Saturday morning with a cup of coffee, the windows are so new and clear it feels like you're sitting outside, and your little dollar bills are snuggled all around you on the couch, (laughs) comfortable, He didn't paint me that picture. Now, if he would have, I wouldn't have bought the windows still, right? Kids got to go to college. But I would have thought about it. I honestly probably would have thought about it. And I would have seen life differently. You know, my windows are kind of dirty, you know, okay, whatever. So the typical pitch from Christians about new life, if they say anything at all to anybody is you're a sinner, you're on a trajectory to hell, you need to get saved, right? Or your life is such a mess, you need a new one. And by the way, I happen to have one to offer you. But we're not going to start there this morning. Let's try something different. And actually, this approach will help both of those problems, both of those perspectives. Let's start with the result. Let's start with the result, the purpose of new life. Let's see the picture the Bible paints of what it is like to have new life in Christ, what the purpose is. So if you can turn with me, or you can watch it up on the screen, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 210 says this. It says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So think about your suburban life. You come home from work, you open the garage door, you go inside, you work on your yard, you make some dinner, you hang out with your family, you hang out with slash discipline, slash yell at your kids, you watch some TV. You get ready for bed, you leave for work, you come home, open the garage door, starts all over again. Or you wake up, make some food for some selfish people in the house, wipe a few kids' rear ends, go run some errands, open the garage door, make some more food, watch some TV, get ready for bed, wake up, it starts all over again, or some variation of those scenarios. Now think about an Ephesians 2.10 kind of life. You are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Men and women, God has a plan for you, not just to be saved, but there are good things waiting to be done that God has planned for you to do. There is something out there in our world, in our homes, in our jobs, that God wants to get done, and he has assigned you to do it. God prepares good works in advance before you were born for you to do. That's what it's saying. We're not making this up just to make life more exciting. That's what it's saying. God prepared good works for you to do in advance. You were born for these, you could say. Now, how would that reality change our everyday suburban life or our life as students, our life as parents? You see, Here's what I used to think, here's what I used to teach, and I cringe at this. We think we should just be excited to be forgiven and going to heaven and that we know God. That that's all we should be excited about. And those things are exciting. Those things are incredibly exciting and are the basis of our satisfaction. But just being saved by itself alone was never meant to be satisfying. That was never meant to be the crescendo of your life. That was meant to start your new life. That was meant to start your exciting life with God. See, now we get to join with God in all the good that he's doing in our world. You see, we're not just waiting around to go to heaven. There's good work to be done in our cities, good work to be done in our homes, in our churches, in the world. Imagine if we lived like that. Imagine if we lived like life is a sacred, unpredictable, day-to-day treasure hunt. That God has planned for us. Would we find meaning and purpose in our everyday suburban lives? I believe we would. Maybe not every day. Maybe not every day is gonna be this laugh a minute ride through this journey, like, whoa, hey, but I'll bet we would find meaning and purpose in our everyday lives. And it's new life from God that starts us on this mission. So Ephesians 2.10 says this. It says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. What does created in Christ Jesus mean? The Bible doesn't speak of our physical creation this way. This creation in Christ Jesus means something different. So let's look at the verses before Ephesians 2.10, starting with verse 1. 1. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions. This is a fancy word for sin. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And here's some verses that might be familiar to a lot of people. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So here's what I want us to do. I want you to take your bulletin insert or some sort of piece of paper And I want you to take a pen. And I know you have a pen because myself and about a dozen volunteers put them there. So write on your notes, on on this piece of paper, two words. Write by, B-Y, and then write for. By and for. Now, these are two harmless little words. But one of these words can do great damage in the Christian life. So I want you to cross out the word by. Encircle the word for. And then write the phrase Ephesians 2, 8-10 underneath it. So why did we do this? Here's the thing. If you think, if I think, that we get this new life that launches us on this purpose, on this mission from God. If we think, if I think that we get this new life by our good works. As if we can do enough good to outweigh the bad or that God owes us this new life because of our good works, you and I are gravely mistaken. You see, I think sometimes we, do, we know that that's not true in our heads, but we act that way. I know I do. I do it all the time. Sometimes I actually think that if I read my Bible and pray, God will look favorably on me. That is by, that is not for. We are never saved by good works. And if we ever doubt that, we can reread Ephesians 2. See, the Bible says that we're dead apart from God. A dead person doesn't need plastic surgery. They need new life, right? And Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 tells us that God gives us new life, not by our good works, but if we keep reading for good works that bring him glory. See, most Christians, many Christians in commentaries stop once we understand that we're not saved by good works. Have I drilled that in your head? You were not saved by good works. You've got that? Okay, good. You're done. How many songs on Christian radios tell you that you're free, the chains are broken? Probably 90% of them. You're out of the dungeon, whatever. But for what? For what? Okay, my chains are off. Now what? I'm out of the dungeon. Now What? I'm into the light, whatever metaphor, cliche you want to use. Now what? We forget that we're saved for something. We start something with that new life. We start on a journey of purpose. God has done something dramatic in our life. So how do we get, how, how does this new life, how do we get it? Why is it so, see, see the change needed in our life is so drastic that not just a new car, not just a new marriage, not just a new relationship, body, whatever. That's not going to do it. Something more radical has to happen. What does this created in Christ Jesus mean? And if you look at John chapter three, I mean sorry, John John uh, three twenty one. My Bible, the right side up here. John, 21, John 3, John when John tells a man named Nicodemus, he tells him this. He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. That's probably not in verse 21. Okay? He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born again when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb and be, born, and be born again. Verse 5, Jesus answers, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water in the Spirit. Flesh gives birth, birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. So our problem is so deep that only being created anew can solve it. And this new life takes something so drastic the Bible is saying we have to be born again and it says there's nothing we can do that to make that happen. It says that it has to come from heaven. It has to come from God. It has to come by grace. It has to come by faith alone. And as part of that new life that God does, we get a mission. So going back to our two problems that we talked about earlier. So if your problem is that you have not accepted the offer of new life from God. Don't just repent and come to, know, come to God out of fear of going to hell. That's like the window guy telling me that my, my cheap windows are going to make me get robbed and make me freeze to death. Don't, don't, don't embrace new life for that. Accept God's offer of new life in Jesus for excitement and hope and anticipation and purpose. That's why we want new life. We want what life could be like if we're living in God's big story. That's why you want to come to know Jesus, to be saved from your sins, to fall in his grace and mercy, but so that you can finally live according to a purpose higher than yourself. If your problem is the second one, at some point you entered new life with Jesus, but aren't doing anything with your new life, you need to know that God saving you was not the crescendo of your life. That was not It's not all downhill from there. Many of you have followed in the news, you followed the the story of the Thai soccer team of 12 boys and their coach who became trapped miles in the earth in a cave in Thailand. Miles of tunnel filled with darkness, water and impending doom for these boys and their coach. After weeks of being scared, malnourished, cold and running out of life, they were all safely rescued this last week by brave divers from Thailand from around the world. It was a total answer to prayer. One diver lost his life in the attempt. Can you imagine if these boys at only age 11 and 12 years of age considered being rescued from that cave, the pinnacle of their life, and they just sat outside the cave waiting, just sitting there waiting for life to happen around them. That's not what the diver who gave his life would want for them he would want them to have 70, 80, 90 years of life to live, to do something. You see, we haven't been given new life just so we can wait around for heaven and be better Christians, to polish our souls waiting for some chariot of fire or something like that. So here's the thing. This means that the new you isn't just saved, but it has a purpose, a preordained purpose life of good works to live. Because here's what happens if it's not. If not, our only comfort when we mess up is, well, at least I'm saved. No, that's no comfort. It doesn't matter if your health is failing, if your marriage is failing, if your job is going nowhere, your kids are not who you thought they would be. The purpose of God granting you new life has not been derailed. He plans to use you. He will use you, and none of those things can derail that because he had those things planned for you before any of those bad things got messed up. So God wants to speak into those. He doesn't want to leave them a mess. Romans 8.28 says that he's not going to leave those things a mess in your life. But God has prepared for you good works to do in the middle of all that crazy, in the middle of all that mess that's going on. So you might think, hey, look, This stuff's all screwed up. I need something new. No. (laughs) You have a mission. God has prepared things for you to do. Okay, so we know this. Okay, so we know God has prepared these good works for me. God has me on mission, but how do I know what they are? What am I supposed to do? How do I know what these good works are? Is there some every other letter in the Bible turned upside down? You know, how do we know this? Great question. I'm glad you asked it. Here's the cool thing. Some of these good works, I believe, some of these good works that the Bible says, I have planned for these for you, I've prepared these for you in advance. Some of them, the Bible just outright tells us what they are. Some of these are, we're supposed to be praying for people that need prayer, including our enemies. That's a good work. It's not easy. We're supposed to be sharing and showing the love of Jesus in our communities to be telling and showing others who Jesus is so they can have new life too. We're supposed to gather here in this place regularly. We're supposed to not live in sin, but submit to Christ. And we can know these things that God has already revealed to us by reading his word regularly. So those are just five things. I'm sure there's tons more in scripture. Those are just five things that we know good works that God has prepared for us to do, that he wants us to do. But what about the things that we don't know, these us. What about this this sort of exciting discovery? God, what do you want me to do? Here's what I would suggest. Every day or every week, uh, be about those five things that we just talked about. Do those five things. Praying for people, sharing and showing the love of Jesus, gathering in fellowship on Sunday, not living in willful sin, reading God's word. Do those things. Be about those things. And in addition... Ask God what he has planned for you that day. Just a simple prayer, less than a minute. God, what do you want me to do today? Where are you at work today? How do you want me to join into that? Something like that. And be ready. You might not get an answer. The answer you might get is simply doing your job, being faithful with your job, caring for your kids, praying for a coworker, listening to a barista, at Starbucks and just saying, hey, sometime I'd love to hear more about your life. Listening to a neighbor talk about their day, scheduling a play date with someone that maybe you haven't, and be ready. So pray, ask God, and be ready. Sometimes it might be something more difficult. Sometimes there's no specific answer. Well, okay, I ask. I will carry on and do what I know today. But ask and be ready. See, here's the, 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 the sad thing. There's so much talk In Christian circles, about needing to be radical and revolutionary in order to fully experience God and all He has for us. That's nonsense. Conjured up by people, Christian adrenaline junkies, who are not satisfied with the Christian life. We don't need to be radical or revolutionary to follow Jesus, we just need to be ready. Ask Him and be ready. Ask God to show you, ask and be ready for the small and the big. But I will say this, often God calls us to the ordinary in the small ways rather than big and dramatic. Do you remember the call of Peter? Those who are familiar with that, you can go read it this week. Jesus didn't ask Peter to go get crucified upside down. He didn't ask him to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. He didn't ask him to be the leader and the spokesperson of the 12 disciples. What did he say? He said, follow me. That's all he said. He just said, follow me. And Peter did. That's all he knew. He just left his fishing boat and he followed Jesus. And he soon realized it meant leaving his family business. He soon realized it meant putting himself in danger. He soon realized it meant him taking the lead and, and being the spokesperson for Jesus' followers. But all that came later after this simple, ordinary, everyday, unexciting call of follow me. So Aaron and I were talking this week. I, I hope she's okay with me sharing this. Um, But we are talking this week about what God's up to in each of our lives. And Erin was mentioning that she was enjoying hearing from God and learning more about Him and that she was beginning to long for an even deeper connection with God. We've all been in moments like that. And I asked her, I said, "How, how would you connect deeper with God? What would that look like? And her answer amazed me. She said, I don't know. Just read my Bible more and more for now. Yes. That's it. She didn't say go on a monastic retreat for three days in the wilderness or or buy such and such a book, which is my uh, default, um, to connect with God, do a 40 day fast, all these things. God may call her to do those things, hopefully, not the monastic retreat, because that means I'm on with the kids for three days. (laughs) But what she just said is, I don't know, but I'm just going to do what I know and be ready. Isn't that awesome? And I'll bet you anything, I know from Scripture, God has good works planned in advance for her to do by just being ready. Well, Aaron and I were, uh, were on staff with a ministry called Crew, uh, and we were in Orlando. We came out to Colorado on a trip uh, to raise some financial support for our ministry. And we went on this trip, we, we hit, I think, five or six different states. We drove out here, and uh, nothing happened. Uh, we did not get a single uh, new financial partner, new financial support for our ministry. And we got to Colorado, and at the end, we had planned on a uh, vacation up in Keystone. So one morning, I was praying. I was telling God that I thought the trip was a failure and that there was nothing I could do now but just enjoy vacation. So all I could do, I just prayed. I said, Lord, if you can use me today, just let me know how. Let me know how I can help someone today. And I don't know. I can't tell you if I heard anything from God. But what popped into my head at that moment was to wear my T-shirt that had the name of the ministry crew in bold letters on it. And maybe a cashier at King Supers would notice that, ask what it means, and start a conversation. And I could help somebody know Jesus. Now, if you know me, you know there's two things I hate most in life. One is Christian T-shirts and the other is Christian bumper stickers. But I wore the shirt. And I took our, we took our kids to a park. I was putting sunscreen on one of my kids. And I hear behind me, are you serious about that shirt? And my stomach dropped. And I turned around. And there was a man with gray hair and a beard. And I said, yes, sir. It's a Christian organization. I've been on staff with them for 17 years. He said, my wife and I love crew. And we support a ton of missionaries with them. And he said, what do you do in Colorado? I said, well, we're on the support raising trip. We come out here. And um, now we're on vacation. He said, are you serious about raising support? Yeah. He's like, Well, there's a group of us that spend most of the year in Florida and the Bahamas and Texas, and we're having a Bible study tonight up here. And uh, I'd love to come and have you share what God's doing through your ministry. If you're serious about raising support, come talk to us. So I did, and it was great. But it started with something as, I don't want to say dumb, I was going to say something as simple as wearing a t shirt. But it started before that of just saying, Almost, I was almost just defeated in saying, God, just use me in a small way today. What do you want to do? Okay, wear a shirt and maybe I'll talk to a cashier. And he did. And honestly, to be honest with you all, other times I've cried out to God to show me something and I got no answer. And I just went about my day doing those five things I knew to do. But see, God has stuff planned for us. We just need to ask him and be ready Revelation 21, five says, Jesus says, behold, I am making, present tense, active, all things new. And guess what the cool thing is? He invites us into that process. And it all starts with new life. But be careful. It's quite an adventure at times following Jesus. Once you ask, be ready. You don't have to be radical, revolutionary. Just be ready. At times it's pretty tough living the Christian life. At times it's pretty ordinary. But if you haven't made the decision to trust Jesus alone for forgiveness of your sins, to give you new life, a new journey, I would encourage you to talk to someone. Talk to me this morning. Talk to someone else. We're not going to make you do anything weird. At least I won't. Other people might. Um, And also, I'd invite you to, 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 um, to join our Christianity Explored small group that's coming up in September. So September 9th, it kicks off. And um, other than my preaching, I really think it's the best thing we do at Deer Creek. And uh, it's it's a eight week small group. We get together over dinner, small group discussion. Um, I, I, you don't have to discuss. You don't have to open your mouth if you don't want to. We have dinner together, and we just talk about who Jesus is and why that matters in a safe relational environment. Nobody's going to ask you to sing out loud. Nobody's going to ask you to pray out loud. Nothing like that. Just great conversation. Invite someone to come with it. Come with you. In that, if you're a follower of Jesus already and are curious about how God can use you, what are some of these good works that maybe he's uniquely equipped you for? Josh, during the announcement, mentioned uh, starting point. Starting point is a great place to start to discover how can God use me in the good works he's planned for me to do. No matter where you're at, know this, new life is available to you by grace through faith, but that is not the finish of your Christian life. That's just the start. He has good works prepared in advance for you to do. And that's exciting. We just have to ask. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for being so gracious as to give us new life, so gracious as to me not having to climb a mountain to get to you, but that you came down to helpless and sinful me. And God, what grace that you have prepared things for all of us. God, imagine if us as Deer Creek Church, if we discovered the purpose, the plans, the good works that you had for us, not so we could earn favor with you, that's so cheap, but so that we could bring glory to you, so that we could help people find new life. And I pray that each one of us, Lord, would be ready this week. Be ready Monday morning. Be ready Monday through Sunday. Just say, God, what have you planned? And God, would you answer us? Would you answer us in that simple prayer and use each and every one of us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.